Oh, he's looking for a handout. What's that? What's up with that? Uh, as you can see, I kind of redid another deal of the uh, chart that I had going on our Christmas night of our Christmas party because it's such a great illustration of what it's all about. Um, so we're just going to jump right in, but before we do, I want to go ahead and just have another word of prayer. Man, we've been praying all night in this place. We came in and uh, just I praise God for the weepers and the warriors. We had some extra people come in and give us a hand tonight. We had eight people in here praying at five o'clock, so uh, hallelujah. So Father, we just thank you for the prayer warriors. I know everybody in this room, their hearts with us. We all lift up our hearts in agreement and in unity, Lord. All we want is you. All we want, Lord, is just more of you. It's nothing complicated. It's just plain and simple spiritual hunger that only you can satisfy. And so, Father, just like Jesus told the woman at the well, the person that comes and drinks of his water will never thirst again. That's the water we're after tonight. Holy Spirit of truth, we just ask you to fill us. Show us truth tonight. Give us revelation knowledge that only you can give us. And we just ask you, Lord, to feed us our hungry spirit tonight that we may go forth in this dark world at this desperate hour and be a light and be salt and be everything that you intended on us to be, that we may magnify Jesus most importantly. And it's his name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, let's just jump right in, and we'll kind of explain this as we get going. Uh, promise I won't leave y'all hanging too much. Let's just start with number one, his purpose. Do we have? Yes, absolutely. How many of you know God's got a purpose? He's not just accidentally, we're not accidentally here, and we're not victims of accident. Let's just read our first scripture about purpose. Hallelujah. The Lord did miraculous signs and wonders before our eyes, dealing terrifying blows against Egypt and Pharaoh and all his people. He brought us out of Egypt so that he could give us this land he had sworn to give to our ancestors. And the Lord our God commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear him, so he can continue to bless us. How many want him to continue to bless us? You know, if we, we've learned that we can kind of move in and out of the blessing, right? And the fullness of his blessing anyway. So he can continue to bless us and preserve us. There's one of the benefits of being blessed, walking in the fullness of blessing. He preserves our lives as he has done to this day. For we will be counted as righteous when we obey all the commands the Lord our God has given us. So we saw a lot of things in that passage that we've already talked about. Obedience is where we started. How important it is to, uh, if we want to walk in the blessing of God, we've got to be obedient. And that's not only obedient to the general commands of the Bible, uh, that's obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's even more important, or, well, I mean, nothing's more important than obeying the Word, but it's vitally just, it's equally as important because it's the nudging of the Holy Spirit that tells us, hey, 
you need to go forgive this person and you need to get things right with them. You, you need to uh, put this thing aside. It's that still small voice that, that we so easily miss if we're not in tune with God, right? And that's how we miss the blessing. That's how we get off. Now, we talked about in times past. Listen, this is the New Testament. The Old Testament way was obedience, and there wasn't any other way. You obeyed everything that God said or you weren't blessed. Uh, the New Testament is by faith. We enter by faith. Uh, but then we said, again, faith does not nullify obedience, right? The, we, we, as a matter of fact, we talked about the New Covenant. It's really even more strict. Because in the Old Covenant, it said if you commit adultery, you know, you'll be stoned to death. But Jesus said in the New Covenant, hey, if you even look, you don't have to do the action. If you just look with lust in your heart, you done committed that. So really, in many ways, it's even more strict. It's easier to slip out of the blessing is what I'm trying to say. doesn't mean you're going to go to hell. Once you're saved, you're saved. But you can, move, you can slip out of the fullness of God's blessing. You can roam around in the wilderness, and you can die there, never getting God's best. So we saw a lot of things in that passage that, that, that we've already talked about. He said that it said in that passage that we did, he did awesome, terrible things to Egypt. When we got saved, God, God whooped up on some demons. I don't know about you, but when, when I came to Christ and I realized Jesus was real, I had my come to Jesus moment, I was delivered of, I don't know, thousands of demons probably. I had legions of demons from years of drug abuse and alcohol abuse and just hedonistic living. Uh, and even one time, uh, Pam said she had this vision of all these demons on me. It's like they would kind of fade as they went back, you know, kind of like a tracer type deal, just all these monkey-like demons on my back. But when we, we had this experience with God, he whooped up on those things. Hallelujah. And we moved into eternal life. We moved into the, the Red Sea, as you can see here, is water baptism is what it signifies. So so let me just kind of go through this for some of y'all who may not have been here on Christmas night. Uh, that Egypt is a type of the world where we are lost without hope. Uh, we're natural beings. We're, we're not born again. We're unregenerate. And we're in bondage to sin and death. There's nothing we can do about it. It's man's nature to sin. Uh, man left to his own devices will self-destruct. Now, when when... We got saved, we were baptized into the body of Christ. This is where the indwelling of the Spirit comes. Not the fullness of the Spirit. The indwelling of the Spirit comes to abide with us and live in us, right? But then we, we realize before... And the promised land is not a type of heaven. That's where a lot of people have missed it. Because there were giants in this land. Uh, the promised land is a type of your New Testament blessings. It's the New Testament promised land where everything that Christ died to give us is. All things that pertain to life and godliness are over here. Uh, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. This is heavenly places, you could say. This is the spiritual realm where everything we need is here. He's freely given unto us all things. So, but between that that awesome place of the fullness of his blessing is a wilderness. 
And that's symbolic of all the tests and trials. And notice I wrote sanctification down here. See, when we came out of the world into this baptism, the Red Sea, we, the sancti- he sanctified us. He started right here. This is the twofold aspect of sanct- sanctification, theologically speaking. Uh, to be set apart for God's use is what sanctifying is. So when we got born again and baptized, we instantly were taken out of the world of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his love and his light. That's, that's initial sanctification. Now, or primary, you could say. Secondary sanctification requires our cooperation and goes on all the way through here, all the way to over here, glorification. We've got, we've got justification, and, and all the way over here you've got glorification, right? Regeneration, justification, all those theological terms. But it's through this process of sanctifying that we go through the furnaces. I like to call them spiritual ovens. How many of y'all have ever been in a spiritual oven? <laughs> and uh, it's a place where we learn. And most importantly, it's a place where we learn humility. So let's just fill in some blanks. Number one is in his purpose. He brought us out of the world to take us into his promised blessing. I like it. He brought us out to take us in. He has a purpose. And notice here that this purpose is a process. <laughs> he's not done with any of us, right? It's a process, but he's got a distinct purpose in this. And it's probably a lot more than what you and I are living right now. Hopefully, we're in tune with the things of the Spirit. We've learned a lot of stuff in this place. Uh, even being here doesn't mean we still don't have tests and trials. We'll get to that later. You're going to have tests and trials always. But I will say this. This this wilderness does not have to be a long period. Uh, And as you see, the Jordan River symbolizes the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that from from here to the Jordan was only an 11-day journey. And so when we come to Christ, we get baptized into Christ. You know, it's not even 11 days. We can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit at the same time we get saved because Pentecost has already come. So there's no delay there. However, there's still going to be a wilderness for us all to go through. If Jesus went through it, guess what? You're going to have to go through it. Uh, The servant is not above his master. That's what Jesus said. But it is enough for the servant to be like his master. And that's where all this is going on. He's making us into the image of his son. Hallelujah. Burning away all that flesh and all that stuff. All right, so God's got a distinct purpose, and the purpose is to get us over here into the fullness of his blessing. Now, number two, let's look at what his process is. This, uh, let's go to our scripture. This, I kind of already jumped my gun on this, but notice it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. So this is, this is a place where we are in, in Christ. Hallelujah. This, this is the heavenly places. This is where he's blessed. Everything we could ever need is there. And it's all obtained by faith. 
And, and this is where we're learning how to exercise faith. This is where we learn how to be humble. This is where, and listen, this humility deal, I, I, I got to underline that. This is the most important thing because we got to come to the place, and we've talked about this, where you got to understand you're nothing. You can do nothing. What was that Jesus said in John 15? He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm the vine, you're the branches. And apart from me, you can do absolutely zero, nothing. That, and, and so that's a long process for a lot of us because even innocently almost, we don't mean to, but we lean on the flesh. We try things our own way. It's hard for us to let go. It's like that baby learning to take its first step. You know, wants to hold on to something. They want to let go of mama's hand, you know. And that's how we are. But this is where we're learning those things, to trust him. This is where we learn to trust. That's a big word. It takes humility to learn how to trust. I can't be tied up with myself and all this self stuff when, I, when I'm, I'm trying to trust God for my provision, for, for everything I have need of. I've got to trust him for that. And, I mean, I could, I could open a lot of cans of worms here. If we wanted to get right down to business, and I guess I won't. Wow. We can open, we, we, listen, beware of the things of the world, okay? Um, how do I say this? Just, just beware. Don't lean, don't lean too heavily on the, on the doctors. I'm not saying don't go to doctors, but don't lean too heavily on them. Go, go to God first. Call up his blessings to him. Give it a little bit of time. Put his word on him. This is, Lord, you said this. Be honest with me. I'm scared, Lord. But I'm going to you first. I remember Brother Terry said, or Pastor David said something one time. I'm just going to do it, Lord. I'm, I'm going to you first. I've got this financial need. Lord, my brain's telling me i got to take this money. Dude, but I'm going to, see what I'm saying? Don't be too quick to hang on to the world's way of doing things. I don't care what it is. I'll just leave it at that. So this, this is a process, and it's going to take time. It's going to take lessons learned. Listen, I like what Joyce Meyer said one time. I've heard other preachers say it too. Uh, you, you can sit in a car that's parked and turn that steering wheel all day long and you ain't going to go nowhere still. The car has to be moving before you can steer it. And, and so we're, we're in a process here. We, we're, we're not, God does not want any of us to stand still, stay here and just stand in this place. The Spirit's always on the move. And, and so he, that's, you know... It's a great place for us to set and start learning our faith. And let me tell you something. It's a good thing to make mistakes and fall on your face. Because that's how I learn. I don't know about you. I, that's how I learn. I, I finally get tired and my nose is hurting bad enough and I'm falling, picking myself up for the 50th time. Oh, I understand now, Lord. But that's what it takes, right? So it's a process. Let's fill in these blanks in number two. There is a vast wilderness of tests and trials, and notice, strategically placed just before the borders of blessing. 
<laughs> what a strange. This is no accident that God stuck this place there. And listen, this can also be a place of seemingly solitude. This can be one of those places where God seems far away. Where you cry out with all your heart and he doesn't answer. Been there a hundred times. What's going on? It's always a test. Always. Because God's always with us. But sometimes he's silent. I love how it says in the, uh, the uh, first Kings, I think it is, when it's talking about Hezekiah. And uh, it says in this one verse, I can't remember the verse, but uh, the Bible says that God withdrew from Hezekiah to test his heart, to see what he would do. Of course, God knew what he was doing, right? As a matter of fact, that brings us to this third stage. I won't even say it. Let's just get there this way. Number three, his purification or his purifying. This is the place where we get purified through fire. Fire and crushing. Remember, we said that in one of our lessons. Anything of any value in the kingdom is either crushed or burned. That's where, how you get the value out of things. That's how the, the stuff that's not needed or unusual is removed. Right? So, uh, how about you? <laughs> Anybody like me, you got a lot of unusable stuff in you. It's a lot of stuff in Terry here that God just can't use. But guess what? Guess who can use it? Satan. I like this scripture. Man, if you're taking notes, this is worth writing down. Remember when uh, it, Jesus, it said that Jesus told his disciples, the wicked one is coming, but he has nothing in me. He's got nothing in me that he can use. Nothing that belongs to him is in Jesus because Jesus was perfect and pure, right? But when Satan comes to you and me in this hour of trying and testing, and we get squeezed, and if complaints come out, guess what? You have need of more testing. Not only that, if anger and complaints come out, you just gave Satan something to work with. Those things belong to him. They, that's his playground. And those are the very things God's trying to squeeze out of us. Pride, anger, hatred. Rage, whatever it is, uh, misplaced confidence, idolatry. I mean, we can go on and on and on. All these things in us, is, they, they, that's Satan's playground. And if we can get those things removed, then when Satan comes, he's got no power over you. The only power he has is the power that we give him by the stuff that we hang on to in us and refuse to let God remove. Does that make sense? All right, so his purifying, let's look at Revelation 2.22. Indeed, okay, this is talking about the church at Thyatira, right, where Jezebel is teaching uh, God's people, you know, seducing God's people with false doctrine, teaching them uh, uh, unclean things and sexual immorality, putting an okay on it. And God says, that's not going to work. Indeed, I will cast her, that's Jezebel, into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. So here this false teacher is fixing to be judged with great sickness and those followers of her 
are going to be hit with great tribulation in hopes that they'll repent. See, any time we're facing this, this stuff, it's a chance to change. It's a chance to turn and ask for forgiveness and repent. Amen? There's never... Peter says, Beloved, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial that you are to be tried with. Uh, but if need be, you'll go through these, these tests and trials. So it's never without reason. If need be, count on it. You're going to be tested. If need be. So... He's going to cast them into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds, right? 23. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. Doesn't this sound like old covenant? It does, doesn't it? But it's not. This is new covenant. And this is the place where all of this goes on, where all of this stuff... God says, I'm the one who searches the minds, searches the hearts of everyone. I search everyone who comes up to me. I search them, and I reward them with exactly what is in them. We talked about how important it is to watch what we're saying, remember? Because one of God's principles is, we learned, he lets you pronounce your own judgment. Out of thy own mouth you will be either justified or thou shalt be condemned. Uh, the, the children of Israel who went out to spy the land. Remember, here we are. We're roaming around in the wilderness and we're sent out to go spy the land. Remember that? And they, they came back and, and ten of them said, we can't take that land. Oh, it's great. It's everything there that God said was there. It's fantastic. But guess what? There's giants in the land. And we look like little grasshoppers. We can't take it. Only Joshua and Caleb kept the promise that God gave way back here. Way back here. He, he, he said, I, he, I'm, he, it was back here that he said, I'll go before you. He told them there was giants over here. He said, I'll go before you, though. I'll drive out all the peoples of all that land. And I'm giving it to you. And we're all going to receive exactly what's in here. Even in New Covenant. Right? Now let's go to our next scripture. We, we, in the beginning, the first day, we studied Jeremiah 17. And this is worth, if you really are getting anything out of this and you want to get more, go back on the podcast and listen to all these. There's only seven lessons. This is our seventh lesson. One of them, I think lesson five, didn't take. Uh... We were back there and out of the room, and it didn't, the audio, it didn't pick up. But you can get most, all the rest of them you can get. And we talked about all this stuff. It's worth going back and listening to because pastor has said this many times, and it's just so easy for us to listen to stuff and listen to sermon after sermon after sermon. And just we normalize it. We process it, and then we forget about it. But listen to me. We're living way below what God really died for to give us and, it, and we're never going to find his best unless we're desperate I'm lost without you 
I'm desperate for you. Right? I mean, if we can't get to that place of, of desperation, talking to God like he's real instead of some formal type of prayer or something, crying real tears. I don't understand, God. Pour out your heart. Whatever it takes, but get to this place. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? God. And only God. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give, here it is again, every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Isn't that just what we read in the New Covenant? God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he chastened in the Old Testament, guess what? He chastens in the New Testament. And I know us charismatic Pentecostal Christians don't like to hear these messages, but I see so many charismatic Pentecostals missing it because they're not aware of this place. They just go straight from here to here. And aren't we seeing that in the world today? Everybody wants something for nothing. Everybody thinks they can just come right out of nothingness and go into the highest paying job. It doesn't work that way. It's a process. Church people, they think they can get saved and then preach the word. I learned that. Pam and I, after we had our Glen Trail experience in 93, and we were filled with the Holy Spirit, we literally, we went in less than, what, a year? We were in the ministry. And God did it all. It wasn't our doing. But God said, I'm going to take y'all over here, and y'all are going to go through absolute hell. And here we are so excited, we're full of the Holy Spirit, and we go to church for the first time in 20 years, and we find out everybody hates our guts that goes to church and stares at us down their nose with this religious spirit like we talked about in our couple of lessons ago. So uh, he began to teach us a lot of things. So it's kind of like he declared the end from the beginning and we went there and then we come all the way back here. And <laughs> now we're going to go through it knowing what we knew, know now. He gave us the opportunity to say, I wish I, I knew what I, I know now when I was young. Well, we kind of got that from him, you know, but it was a painful process. Uh, but, you know, it, nothing's changed. Church people are the meanest people in the world. Uh, you know, we, Pam and I came out of the club business. I, I played music in clubs, and she was a cocktail waitress. Now, blah, 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 boom. She was something. But uh, we started going to church, man. She still is something. <laughs> so I said, kaboom. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Uh, we started going to uh, church, and Pam said one day, I, I, I just thought the people in the, it's the people in the clubs who are the nice guys. They'll give you the shirt off their back. It's the church people who are out to claw and I mean not all I mean there's some people get filled with the Holy we go through this process we learn to you know God squeezes all that stuff out of us but I'm, I'm sorry to say most of the people in the church are not like that most people in church aren't like you guys take my word for it 
And if you don't believe me, go sit on a church board. I'm not talking about this church necessarily, but you know what I'm saying. It's rare to find a church, spirit-filled, running the way God designed churches to run. That's what the whole book of Living Stones is about, but we won't go there. Okay, so did we fill in blanks on number three? These great trials are designed to show us. I like that. See, underline us. These great trials are designed to show us the condition of our hearts and give us time to learn and repent. See, God already knows your heart. These trials are designed to show us. Oh, wow. Lord, I'm not all that. I thought I knew something, but I don't, Lord. And, you know, it's cliche. I understand that, but it's true. The, the more I get to know this, the more I understand I don't know anything. It, it's just so paradoxical. But, man... He's showing us our hearts so that we can humble ourselves. Like Paul says, Beloved, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought. Um, Again, the Psalm 139 prayer. I've got to throw that in every message. Search me, O Lord, and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. Turn up the fire and lead me in the way everlasting. Why do I need to pray that over? Because you don't know what's in your heart. You think you conquered that hatred. You think you forgave that person. But God sees your heart. He said, no, you didn't. You just think you did. And so it takes a lot of humility and a lot of learning and a lot of honesty to be honest with ourselves to find out, you know what? I guess I didn't really forgive that person. But... These are all things that the normal church folk miss out on. They miss out on the whole process of sanctification because they're not aware of any of this. They've just gone straight from here, and and, and they're over here, they think. But they're not. The prompting, number four. How many of you know God is prompting us for something specific? Entering, uh, let's see, yeah, let's go to Ezekiel 24, 13. Wow, whoo! This, I've been studying Ezekiel here lately, so I'll, you'll probably be hearing a lot of passages from Ezekiel if you ever hear me speak. But he said, we, we went through this last week, your impurity is your lewdness and the corruption of your idolatry. Now, this is powerful. I tried to cleanse you, but you refused So now you will remain in your filth until my fury against you has been satisfied. See, he he took us through here, and he tried to clean us up. But we just wouldn't have it. Just wouldn't. And I think we said last time when I talked about that, God took the people out of Egypt, but the people refused to take Egypt out of their heart. Well, what would you do? Bring us out here to die, God? They were willing to go back here to bondage. But then what did God do? Out of thy own mouth. Your carcasses will fall in this wilderness. And you will never enter into my rest. Why? Your own mouth judged it. 
We've got to get a revelation of what the process is all about. And that's what this whole prompting is. He's prodding us and prompting us to go through the fire. That's what the baptism of fire is. A lot of people don't understand that. John the Baptist said Jesus is coming after him who's saying, well, I'm not even worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And see, a lot of people think the fire is just like tongues of fire and all this blessed stuff. But the fact is, every time you see fire in the scriptures, it's purifying something. Even to the New Testament, Hebrews, where he says, our God is an all-consuming fire. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of our living God, for he's an all-consuming fire. And so <laughs> be careful if you're praying for the fire to fall down, because what you're praying for is this. And it's a good thing to pray, but you better understand what you're doing. It's like in this place, when people aren't aware of it, they say, Lord, teach me how to love people like you love them. And then he sends everybody across your path that's just almost impossible to love. What are you doing, God? And then we start complaining. Say, why? Because we're not aware of where we're at. We're not aware. We forget that we prayed something and God answered that prayer. His ways are not our ways, though. His ways are far above our ways. And there's only one way to get the junk out, and that's to crank up the fire and burn it out or smash the grapes. So this prompting, let's look at uh, Hebrews 4. This is powerful. See, look at that. A promise of God's rest, or even we could say his best. A promise of this place over here. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, let's take this seriously, lest any of you seem to have come short of it, like they did, remember? They, they were roaming around here, and that's where they perished. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. Old covenant people, it was Jesus who was the rock giving the water. It was Jesus who was going with them through this wilderness. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So it doesn't do any good to hear this type of lesson and to look at this board and then not put faith to it and not put prayer to it and not fear God and say, God, this looks amazing. I think it's something I want. But I really do want this. I really, really want this. But I got to go through here to get there. So, number four, filling in the blanks, entering God's best takes our cooperation and great Faith. Great faith. You know, James said, even the demons believe and tremble. It's not enough to believe in God. It's not enough to even see a chart like this and say, I want that, and then sit back and do nothing. You've got to be a doer of the word. You've got to exercise faith. You, like that car, you've got to get to moving. 
You got to get to moving, and it's better to make a mistake and fall flat on your face as long as you're aware of what's going on. Because then you can pick yourself back. Well, he'll pick you up. You don't even have to pick yourself up. He'll pick you up. And he'll dust you off and say, okay, son, let's go it again. Hallelujah. I just saw myself, dad, behind my bike, and I got my training wheels off for the first time. Wow. Number five, there's a problem. There's always a problem. I think the last time we had promise, problem, provision. That's how it works. God gives us a promise way back here when we got nothing. Then he presents a problem or problems, probably be the more accurate. But there's always after that a provision. And let me just say this. I learned this a long time ago. This is another kind of cliche thing. But our greatest victories lie just beyond our strongest challenges. If it looks impossible, praise God. Because whatever it is on the other side of that is huge. If it looks like a little video ant here, well, praise God for that too. But the blessing will be small. But if it looks impossible, man, and you're marching in faith, oh, man, if you keep the faith, you hang in there, you're, you're persistent, oh, man, there is a huge reward on the other side. I, I just cannot get past the story of our son and his heroin addiction. And Tara, just, she, she suffered in these flames for five years, and she hung in there, though. She hung in there, and now her marriage is restored. We've got our son back. Hallelujah. It took a lot of prayers and a lot of fasting. Mom was fasting and dreams and visions and crying and tears and pain. And but it was persevering. And the reward, man, I just told Pam the other day, I said, this is the first time I've seen our son. We've got our son back. And she brought something out. Back? No, we've never even seen him like this before. He's better. He's better. You know, uh, Addison, our granddaughter, sent him a picture the other day. Brian was at work at Sunrise. And she took, first she took a picture of the door to his new office because he's on staff at Teen Challenge now. And it said Brian Monroe, uh, vocational director. And then there he is at the computer, working on a computer, sitting there in Teen Challenge. Raising money, heading up work crews, full of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah! But that stuff don't come easy. It was five years of, of hell. And that's just one of the many trials that we've learned from. Amen, baby? There's tons of trials, tons of them. I don't want to depress you. Let's go on. Tons. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 
etc. We sow in tears, but we reap in joy. Glory to God. But the trick is enduring through the process. In due time, it says, you will reap if you faint not. A lot of people fainted here. A lot of them gave up. It's too hard, Lord. It was better off before we started serving you. That's how, that happens to everyone who gets filled with the Holy Ghost. Yeah, I have too. And your mom and your dad, what the heck is wrong with you? Have you flipped out? You on drugs? It's almost like they liked me better when I was a party animal. Okay, Ephesians 1.3 again. Let's look at that because the problem is not just here. But the problem is we've gone through all these tests. We've, <laughs> we've gone through all these trials and we get to this place of victory and blessing and then all of a sudden there's giants. Really, God? <laughs> really? Yeah, really. But guess what? Since I've learned so much here, I understand I'm not fighting those giants. He done whooped them. He beat them just like a puppy running with their tail between their legs. The devil, let me tell you, you need to get a hold of that scripture in Colossians that said that he made a show of him openly. I mean, when you, if you've ever watched one of those movies like Braveheart, for instance, and they finally get William Wallace... And they, they wrap him around his neck and they just drag him through town. If he can't walk anymore, they drag him in the dirt. It don't matter. They humiliate him, drag him through. Sometimes they'd gouge their eyes out. They'd kill their family before them, before they blinded them. And they just totally humiliated them to proclaim their victory and their domination over that enemy. That's exactly what Jesus did to Satan. Totally annihilated him. Totally. We need to get a picture of that. The only power he has over us is deception, lies, and trickery, and witchcraft, and things like that. And, and he's looking, again, he's looking for the stuff in you. He's looking for impatience. He's looking for frustration. He's looking for anger. Anything he can get a hold of that belongs. Oh, that's mine. Yeah, that's mine. I can work with that. But that's all he can do. All we got to do, as soon as we realize he just found something in me, is repent. Repent. And he can't have it. He can't have it. Devil, you can't have us. Hallelujah. Yes. So... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has. I want you, it's done. He has blessed us. It is done. It is finished. Praise God. I'll be talking a little bit about this Sunday. I, I really want us to get a hold of the victory that Jesus bought us with his own blood and the authority that he has given to us. All right, we better move along. Number six, the providence. 
Ephesians 4, 17 and 18. This divine adversity is designed to train us to think like new creatures. This divine adversity is designed to train us to think like new creatures who will trust God for every provision. So remember he said, I tried to cleanse you. I tried to bring you through here. I tried to clean you up, but you just wouldn't have it. That's why. That's why I wrote that down. This whole divine adversity is designed to train us to think like new creatures. You are not the person back here who died. You, Terry Harris, died way back here. They, back in the day when I was playing in the club stuff, they used to call me Hollywood Harris. And every now and then I'll run across somebody that, that, that was from the old club. they Hollywood. I'll say, that man's dead. He's dead. He, Hollywood died. <laughs> they look at me like, well, you done flipped out. Well, I, I'm dead. I'm alive in Christ. Hallelujah. And now I'm thinking like a new creature. And this is it. I'm not thinking like, I'm not trying to think like I'm someone new. I'm thinking new because I am somebody new. It, there were certain things in me that changed right here immediately. I, I was one of those guys who, um, you know, if a woman wants to have an abortion, it's up to her. You know, I'm not necessarily for it, but, you know, it's her own body. Uh, oh, that gay thing, uh, I'm not too crazy about those guys as long as they leave me alone. But then I got born again, and those are two things that immediately in my spirit God put in there. I just knew it. Didn't even have to mention it. Didn't have to experience it. It's just a whole bunch of stuff started flooding into my spirit. When I was baptized in the body of Christ, I immediately knew things. I was looking at things because I was a new creature. And I knew that it wasn't right to not only participate in those things, it's not right to approve of them. Just like Jezebel, we went through that scripture. They were, the, the church at Thyatira was tolerating. That's, that was their big mistake. They were just tolerating this false teaching. Well, I may not agree with that, but yeah. You cannot tolerate that stuff. You know, me and Pam were just talking about the Methodist church today. She just read uh, an article about, you know, there's this big split going on in the Methodist church. <laughs> I said this time, about 30 years too late. I should have done this 30 years ago. But they're just now getting to this place where people are finally, well, maybe this isn't a good idea. But, uh, man... You're a new creature, and it's wrong. You don't invite a transvestite to your church to speak. Okay? If, if I love Mr. Transvestite. I love you. love you very much. Mrs. Lesbian, I, I adore you. But you're not going to teach the Word of God in my church. I want you to come here and listen to the Word of God. If you'll humble yourself and not get offended, then maybe there can be some repentance and and. Some true things can happen. But our world has gotten to a place now where you dare not even mention that. And we got preachers afraid that they're going to get shut down or I'm going to lose my, my tax exemption. 
big deal. You speak the truth huh? fearlessly. You speak the truth fearlessly. That's what I like about this church. Pastor does not compromise the word of God. But the new man, he says, Paul says, Therefore, I say therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Now look at this, in the futility of their mind. This is where Satan speaks to you. This is where doctrines of devils hit you. This is where all that garbage hits you. God speaks to you down here. And it takes practice and learning in this place to learn how to hear God down here. I'm just going to testify to that right now. And a lot of Christians are running around. They're thinking they're hearing God, and they're listening to a bunch of garbage up here. Listen, familiar spirits will trick you. They'll listen to your prayers. They'll even present things that look like an answer to prayer. And if you don't have discernment and you can't really hear the voice of God down here and understand what it is to walk in the peace of God, I love the Amplified. It says like, like an umpire. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts like an umpire. Call in the shots. Call in the plays. Nope, that's not safe. You're out of here. You know, me and Pastor were just talking tonight, uh, you know, all the challenges we're facing. We were talking about some places uh, to go and worship and stuff. And he just said, yeah, I just didn't have peace about this one place. And man, my spirit just immediately, Phew. I didn't either, really, you know. Um, that's a confirmation. That's listening to the still small voice. So be in prayer about that. We're... You know, pastor's going to need a lot of wisdom. And I know a pastor hears the Holy Spirit. That's what, there's a lot of pastors who don't even hear the Spirit because they don't. They're still up here. I dare say the majority of pastors are still up here. No, no. You've got to follow that peace, man. And when that peace comes and rests on you, you know. But see, in the futility of their minds, having their understanding darkened. I love the Greek word skotos. Uh, means to veil or obscure vision. When, when you put a veil, and we, look, we talked about this in past. What is the veil? The veil, well, the veil separates. The veil was torn in the temple. Remember when Jesus resurrected as a symbol? Now we have access straight into the Spirit of the living God. The veil is the flesh. The flesh obscures our spiritual vision. As long as I'm listening to suke, the soulish realm, my mind will and my emotions. If I'm, if I'm driven by the senses, I'm of the senses. I'm, I'm a carnal Christian. The spirit-filled man is led down here. See, if I'm up here, my understanding's darkened. It's obscured, and I can't really, thank God I've got this, but I can't really see it far off, and I can't really discern in the Spirit. You getting what I'm saying? And it's the flesh that keeps us from seeing that stuff. All these fleshly things the devil likes to play with obscure our vision spiritually. And it alienates us from the life of God. These people here are totally alienated from God because of the ignorance 
We t- that was one of the things we talked about last week. Knowledge. Knowledge. Because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the blindness of their heart or their spirit. All right, we're going a little late. We've got one more to do, so let's just finish it. But uh, number six, spiritual wisdom and understanding are required to help us crucify the flesh so that we may properly discern spiritual truth. You and I cannot properly discern spiritual things if we have not crucified the flesh. And again, that takes all this stuff, and humility is one of the big ones. I humble myself. I give my life to you, Lord. Turn up the fire. Do whatever you got to do. I don't care anymore. I just want to follow you. I just want your will to be done, not my will. Terry's stepping off the throne of self, and I invite you to seat on this throne inside of me. I give you my life. I'm a living sacrifice. Finally, number seven, the provision. Romans 8.32. (laughs) He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? I want you to say this right now. God's not holding back anything. Freely give. Now, are there conditions? Yeah, there's a few. But they're freely given to us. And it's a choice for us to make. That's the first thing we started off in lesson number one. It's choose ye this day, death or life. Cursings or blessings. It's a choice that we make. Say, you know what, God? I'm going to go through this process. Amen. And being determined. You can't forget the word. And I might just throw in a word here for you. Discipleship. Discipleship. I'm still struggling with the theological uh, terminology. Is, is there salvation apart from discipleship? It's a big question. What's it cost to be a disciple? Everything. Everything. Can I be saved without giving up everything? It's a big question, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, there's a, yeah, I know that goes against the Baptist theology, but listen, man, it's a big deal. Jesus put it this way Which of you, intending on building a tower, We'll not first stop and count the cost to see whether or not he has enough to finish it. Lest everyone looking on when he runs out of money, <laughs> sitting there really, Look, this guy started to build and he couldn't finish it. And he's talking about discipleship. When we're here and we hear the voice of God for the first time saying, I want to deliver you, son, from bondage. I want to baptize you into the body of Jesus Christ. Right there is where I need to stop and think. Am I in this for the long haul or not? Because if you're not, you might as well just stay right back here. That's just my opinion. It's not a theological dogma. It's just my opinion. The provision 
Revelation 3.10. I love this. Because you've kept my command to persevere. Say, I will persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to what? Test every single living soul who dwells on earth. Wow. <laughs> Regardless of your eschatology here, if, whether you're pre-trib or uh, all-millennialist, it doesn't matter. The point is to persevere. That's the point. You do that, none of the other stuff doesn't matter. It does not matter. The last thing I want to do, though, I will say this, is get it in my head. I'm going to be out of here for all the trouble. Well, I've done seen enough up to this point. And notice where he says, that hour of trial which will come upon what? For the first time in my life, we just saw something that hit the whole world, didn't we? The whole globe with this COVID mess. And we saw government starting to rise up. An antichrist Babylonian figure of government wanting to rise up and control the people of God and put them to the test and mark them for themselves. And I guarantee you there was a lot of marking going on. A lot of listening and following what preachers are filing in line and what ones rebelled and all this... Listen, man, it's going on now. And that's how I know we're getting close to Jesus coming back. Because for the first time, and you might say, well, what about World War I and World War II? Kind of. But not the whole. There's people off in Timbuktu who didn't even know the war happened. I guarantee everybody on the planet knows COVID happened. And, and listen, it's just the beginning of sorrows and things that are going to come upon the world. And I'll tell you what. Jesus says in uh, Luke 24, I believe it is, or 21, 24, he says, Pray ye therefore that you be counted worthy to escape these things that are coming upon the whole world. So I don't know. Tribulation, pre-trib, post-trib, I don't know. All I know is I'm going to pray I'm counted worthy to escape it all. Doesn't mean I'm not going to go through trouble. Doesn't mean there won't be uh, 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 antichrist figures popping up from time to time. Doesn't mean there won't be false prophets. But all I know is I'm blessed. I'm walking in this place. I'm slaying giants, and I'm going to keep persevering until he comes. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We love you so much. We thank you for your precious Holy Spirit who you, you just lavished upon us. You're so good, Lord. We don't deserve this goodness. Father, we just thank you for every test we've been through, every trial we've had to face. Father, I pray for those in this room who may be going through difficulties right now. Lord, I'm sure all of us are facing our own trials. Bring the comfort of the Holy Spirit upon them. I pray for special revelation knowledge. You said, Lord, that you would show us a way of escape for every trial, every temptation, everything that comes against us. There's a way of escape. And I'm just praying, Lord, you lead your children 
into the victory so that we can glorify Jesus wherever we go, so that we can overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony as we lift up Jesus. Lord, we're nothing. We're nothing. And whatever trial needs to come upon us, bring it to purify us. Make us holy. Make us pure. Make us like Jesus. For we humbly ask this, hungry for more. In Jesus' name, amen. Sure love you guys. Be salt and delight.